And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do praise you and give you thanks for your presence with us today. Lord, there is such a sweetness of being with you. And Lord, that's what we long for. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to draw us into the presence, deeper into the presence of the Lord as we open up this good news, this gospel of Jesus. I pray that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Good morning. We are continuing this morning in our series uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to encourage you, uh, if you have your Bible, to open it up to Matthew 1, those verses that we just read. There's probably a Bible and a seat back in front of you nearby. You can grab one of those and turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, as, we, uh, as we start, I want to introduce you to a member of our family uh, that you may not know. This is Sassy. Uh, Sassy is, uh, is a full-on member of our family. She, uh, she travels with us uh, when we hit the road, and that is her name, Sassy. She actually has her own Instagram account that you can follow, Sassy Scamptastic. I know some of you already do. So this is Sassy, and we took Sassy on the road uh, earlier this summer. Uh, we took her on the road to the Grand Canyon and then to Carlsbad Caverns. We hit Santa Fe in between, and then West Texas, uh, a couple of spots we stopped uh, along the way, and it was it was an awesome trip, uh, but we were also really excited to get home <laughs> because uh, five of us in sixty square feet in that little thing uh, for two weeks. Uh, you really get to know somebody when you're in that tight of a space for that long. Uh, in fact, we uh, that was one of the things that I loved about our trip was we got to spend so much time together as a family. And, and in particular, I got to spend a lot of time with my kids. Um, and it was fun because uh, I really got to know them in some ways that I think can only come through spending that much time together. I got to know them and see them and their little personalities. For example, I got to see their imaginations. You know, we were no internet, no TV screens, nothing. And so just the way they would play 
uh, was just amazing. And I got to see um, their, uh, their just thirst for learning. We, everywhere we went to these national parks, we did these junior ranger programs, and they fill out all these little books, and they get their badges, and they'd be so proud to get their junior ranger badges. Uh, and there were just all these things I got to see, including I learned one of my children is, uh, uh, is a really, really violent sleeper, <laughs> just <laughs> boxing and kicking the whole night. I was not aware of the extent of that. So you just learn a lot. I learned a lot about my kids. But it's interesting, I learned a lot about myself, too, through my relationship with my kids. Uh, I, I learned um, that there's a, there's a part of me that loves to be silly with them in a way that I'm not silly with anybody else. Uh, I learned uh, that I can be really impatient, that I'm actually, at times, really selfish. <laughs> I learned a lot of things about myself. Um, and that really is, is the point of what I'm trying to get at, is that, that through my relationship with my kids, I got to know them, but I also really got to know myself better. And I think that's what Matthew is trying to do. Uh, as we turn to his gospel, his portrait of Jesus, it's almost like he's putting a picture of Jesus up on the screen. And what he's saying to us is he's saying, I'm going to tell you some stories uh, about Jesus. And what's amazing is as we get to know Jesus, we also, through that, get to know ourselves better. And that really is our hope as we're pushing through uh, Matthew together, as, we, as we're taking a look at this portrait of Jesus, that we get to know him better first and foremost, but through that we would know ourselves better. And so we're going to do that this morning by looking uh, at Matthew 1. So again, just encourage you to open up to Matthew 1, uh, verse 18, um, because that's where uh, this story that Matthew is uh, telling begins. Uh, if you look in Matthew 1, 18, what it says is, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Or in some translations, or maybe in a footnote, you might have something like, this is the origin of Jesus the Messiah, or the origin of Jesus Messiah was like this. And it's really uh, this concept of origin story that I want to focus on this morning, because I think it's really helpful. I think it's something we can connect with in our own cultural moment. You know, if you think about it, uh, you know, Star Wars, A New Hope, that's an origin story. Or I think uh, with Harry Potter, is it the the Sorcerer's Stone, is that the, that's the beginning, right? That's the first book. There's the origins, origins, all the Avenger movies, origin story, where this superhero actually came from. So we've got this kind of paradigm of an origin story. But even if, if you're not in any of those things, um, maybe, maybe if you've ever sat down and talked with a counselor uh, or a therapist, you know, when, I, when I've done that, uh, one of the things they always do at the beginning is they, they want to talk about your family of what? family of origin, right? And, and they want to do that uh, because what they're trying to get at is this idea that, that because of where we come from, it has a lot to do with who we are, right? There's a connection between our past and our present. And so Matthew is telling this origin story. This is the origin story of Jesus. Uh, so it's not just fun facts or something that makes for a great holiday here. You know, it's, it's really a, an origin story about Jesus that's supposed to help us understand who he is. And it's a very strange origin story <laughs> um, for several reasons. It's, it's strange. Look at verse 18 as it continues. It says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
Now, honestly, if you were trying to build a case for Jesus among ancient Jews and you wanted to tell a story, an origin story, this is not the way that you would do it. In fact, this would have been absolutely scandalous for first century Jews. Jesus, you're telling me Jesus, the heir to the throne of David, the long-awaited Messiah, is the son of a Jewish unwed pregnant teenager from a tiny dirt poor town in backwater Galilee. That's how your story begins. You've lost 95% of your primary audience with this gospel right off the bat. And then Matthew goes on to say, actually, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. There goes the other 5%. Okay? This story is scandalous. So it's not surprising then, right, when we read that Joseph has a hard time believing what Mary has come to him as said and said. I mean, who would? Who would believe this? And that's why he plans to divorce her. And that word divorce may surprise us because we know they're engaged. They're not yet married. But in, in this context, engagement in Jewish culture, it, it was the culmination of years of the planning of two families to bring these two together. And there were huge commitments. There were family commitments, social commitments, financial commitments. And so divorce is a word that carries a significant weight to highlight how, how big a deal this was that he was about to take this step. And so he was going to do it in a kind way, a just way, we're told, uh, to help avoid public shame as much as possible. He was resolved to divorce her quietly, we're told. And then in verse 20, uh, we're told that an angel appears to him in a dream. And that it's through this dream that he becomes convinced that actually Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And he comes to believe what she said is true. Now, it's interesting in Jesus' origin story that Matthew tells us twice that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He mentions that two times. And so that ought to make us ask why. Why would Matthew uh, mention that twice here? It must be important. And, and it's because Matthew wants to trigger in us a memory, right? He wants to spark our imaginations to think of origin stories and the Holy Spirit, right? So can you think of another origin story that involves the Holy Spirit? Anybody think of one? Creation, right. Genesis 1, in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. And so Matthew is drawing a connection, right? He's saying just as the Spirit hovered over the waters at creation and brought forth light, so the Spirit is hovering over the womb of Mary to bring forth life. And Genesis marks the beginning of the Old Testament, right? It's the, it's the account of the creation of the world followed by the way that everything went wrong. And Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament. It's a recreation story of the world. And it tells us how God is going to make things right. And so Matthew is pointing to the significance of this birth, of this child as an amazing event on a cosmic scale. He wants us to see that. But it doesn't change the fact that it's scandalous. It is a messy story. It's a messy and bizarre and difficult to believe origin story for this child. And yet it is Jesus' origin story. And so the best explanation of this account is that Matthew is attempting to preserve an actual memory of what actually happened. And it marks out the birth of Jesus 
to be something totally unique and utterly remarkable. Something that we have come to call the virgin birth. Now, it then begs the question, who then is this child? If this is the incredible origin story of this child, who is this person? And Matthew answers that question. And he gives us two names. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at those two names and what they tell us about who Jesus is and then how they help us to understand ourselves better. Okay? So let's look. He says there's two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Those are the two names that were given. So let's look at the first name, Jesus. Look at verse 21. The angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's an important word play that's going on here that we miss in the translation. It gets lost, but let's kind of try to uncover it. The name Jesus, it comes from the Hebrew Yehoshua or Yeshua. Uh, so if you encounter this in the Old Testament, it usually gets translated Joshua. So Yeshua is the name of Jesus, and it comes from uh, two root words. The Yeshua piece, the yesh on the front of it, comes from Yahweh. And the Shua comes from the word, the Hebrew word for save or to deliver or to rescue. And so Jesus, the name in Hebrew, originally what it actually means is Yahweh saves. All right, so think now about what Matthew is saying in this verse. This child's name is Yahweh saves. Jesus, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Right? So Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. So here's the million-dollar question. Who is he? Is it, is it Yahweh saves Jesus, or is it Yahweh? Is it, is it God, or is it Jesus? Who will save his people from their sins? The answer is yes. That's right, Mark, you're on to my game. Good job. Yeah, the answer is yes. And if, if you can grasp that, th this is the key verse to understanding and unlocking everything that Matthew is going to unfold before you, all the way to the cross and the resurrection. This is the fundamental claim about Jesus and who he was, that he, in fact, is God, Yahweh, who has come to save he doesn't write a theological treatise to, to kind of help us understand. He gives us a name that helps us understand the identity and the destiny of this child. So he is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, who will save his people from their sins. Now, let's ask another question. Who are his people? Who are his people? Any guesses? Israel, yeah, Israel. So we just met, the clue just before this was the genealogy. That whole genealogy spells out who his people are, right? Sons of Abraham, son of David. So Israel is where uh, we understand that's his people, right? To understand that, though, we have to understand the story of Israel. We have to understand where Israel has come from and how Jesus enters into that story here in Matthew chapter 1. So what I want to do is I want, I'm, I'm going to ask you to stick with me in advance. Because what I want to try to do is I'm going to try to tell the history of humanity in about four minutes. 
okay? The story of Israel in four minutes, because that's what we're going to talk about. So we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to move kind of quick here. If you glaze over, it's okay. I'll tell you when to jump back in, okay? All right, so here, here's what we go. In the opening line, Matthew makes the claim that Jesus is the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, meaning that Jesus is, he is the climax of the story of Israel. That's who Jesus is. And so where that story begins is where? In the very beginning, right? In the very beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the cosmos and humanity. Adam and Eve, right, are called to be his representatives, called to rule over the earth, he tells them, to be responsible for creation, to foster a world where humans can flourish, to foster a world where they can live in relationship with God and with each other and with creation itself. How did they do? They failed, right? Genesis 3, we know that. All right, so then the next phase, God calls a man named Abraham. And it's Abraham's great-grandchildren, right? Twelve sons of Jacob. He become the 12 tribes of what? Israel. So that's where Israel comes from. That's why Abraham is considered the father of Israel. Because God blessed Abraham and called him to be a blessing to all of humanity. And so God is at work. This is God's plan to get humanity kind of back on track. That's what God is doing here. All right, so that's, that's Israel. Now, how did Israel do? Read the Old Testament. Good or bad? Not good. Yeah. They failed too. All right, so God goes to the kings. God raises up kings from the line of David. And he calls these kings and he anoints these kings. You know, Saul, and then you've got David, and then you've got Solomon, and then all these other kings that come after. And they're all anointed to be God's king and to reign and rule in God's authority over God's kingdom, to bring God's kingdom here on earth. And there's lots of ups and downs in that, but... Ultimately, all these kings, they fail. That's right. They fail too. And so finally, what happens is Israel ends up in exile. Israel is taken thousands of miles uh, from their land to Babylon, and they are left waiting there for a Messiah who will rescue them out of exile and return them to the land where they can then establish, God will establish his kingdom on earth forever. And so that's the story of Israel, and that's where the Old Testament ends. Uh, so, two things I think that are important to understand in light of that quick history. Uh, first, even though uh, some of the Jewish people had returned to the land, right? They had returned from exile. Most of them still live outside of the land at the time of Jesus. Um, and that's important because uh, what that means is really an experience, they're still in exile. Even though some of them have come back, because even though they're back, they're under Roman oppression. So they're not, they're experiencing anything but the kingdom of God in their land. And so that's important because that means they're still in exile, right? Second, they're in exile because of their sin. And we know that because of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 tells us this. It says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. So they're in exile because of their sin. Now, this is where you jump back in. If you tuned out at any point, jump back in. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that when Matthew says Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, 
He isn't just talking about dealing with what we often conceptualize about sin, personal guilt before the Lord. He's not just talking about that. He's talking about that, but he's also talking about more. He's talking about salvation that includes rescuing Israel, his people, from exile, which is a consequence of their sin, and inaugurating this new kingdom, the kingdom of God that Jesus announces. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter to us? So, first, it ought to spark a question in your mind. If Jesus came to save Israel, his people, what about the rest of us? Now, I, is, is anybody Jewish that's here today? Okay. So, you all should be a little nervous based on what I just said, right? His people, Israel. Does that mean if I, you know, as an American, I'm out? You know, if you're from Mexico, you're out? Like, what does that mean for us? And I think this is why it's so important to understand that whole story that I just laid out. It's so important to understand because saving Israel was never just about Israel. Saving Israel was always about saving all of humanity, about saving all of creation, because it was through Israel that the Messiah would come and God would rescue, and he would rescue all people. And so this matters because what Matthew is declaring here is that that's this Jesus. He's the one who's come to rescue people from exile, from the exile of sin, and that he is going to establish his kingdom here on earth. So so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is it it matters because it should challenge some of the ways we think about sin. You know, I think we, maybe if you grew up in the church, uh, in a church tradition like I did, the idea of sin was very narrowly kind of defined to me as basically it's all about your guilt or your innocence before God. And, And in light of that, salvation was all about getting to heaven, right? escaping the consequences of that condition. And the reality is, if you read the scriptures, that's a part of it. But sin is so much more than just our status of guilt before God. It's about the utter failure of us as human beings. It's about our broken relationship with God and as a result with each other and with creation itself. And so that means salvation is about more than going to heaven when you die. It's about the healing and renewal of of all things, of all of you, of your mind, of your body, of your your spirit. It's the healing and restoration of all relationships, first and foremost with God, but then also with all people and even with the earth and creation itself. It's about life with God. And so sin is not less than guilt before God, and salvation is not less than our eternal destiny with God. It's, it's more, though. It's about an, an end of exile and sin and the beginning of this new reality that we're invited into through Jesus called the kingdom of God. So that's, that's who Jesus is, that he is Yahweh saves, the one who saves us from our sins. So what does that tell us about ourselves? I would say something very simple, yet hard to hear. And it's this, that we are people who need to be saved. 
that we are people that need to be saved. Now, some of us may not need any convincing on that point. You may be sitting here saying, yes, I become painfully aware that I need to be saved. But in our cultural moment, I think this is really hard for many people, and maybe many of us, really to come to grips with the reality of what this means. We live in a culture you know, that is passionately committed to the idea that people are born pretty much inherently good, right? There's a, a, a song called Born This Way. Do you all know that song by Lady Gaga? Raise your hand if you're a Lady Gaga fan. I know there's some of you in here. That's all right. Uh, Lady Gaga said it this way. My mama told me when I was young, we are all born superstars, right? My kids hear that all the time, that they are superstars. They're amazing. My kids are incredible. And there's truth in that, right? That's what's dangerous about this. There's a truth in that. As human beings, we bear the image of God. We've got the fingerprints of God all over us. And that's a good and beautiful thing. But there's another piece of the truth. And it's that we are a mixed bag. We are good, but we're also evil. There are things within us that are naturally bent in a fallen world away from God and to ourselves. There's an aspect of us that is infected with what the ancients called original sin. It's not very popular in our cultural moment to think that way. And what's interesting to me is that while we kind of have this, uh, this idea that people are just, people really are mostly good and generally good and inherently good, we also have no problem looking out across the world and assessing the fact that the world is really messed up. Uh, that there are all kinds of problems and there are terrible things going on all around us all the time. Now, I don't know that it's any worse than it's ever been, but it's just as bad as it's ever been. Right? We, just, we know that. We see that. But because we've been told that we are good, right, that we're superstars, I think what happens is we look outward for the explanation to that reality. And so our answer to why is the world so messed up is, well, it's because of the Democrats. It's because of the Republicans. It's because of Trump. It's Obama. It's the Muslims. It's the Christians. We look outside because someone else is always at fault. For what's wrong in the world. But the Bible says that the answer to what's wrong with the world isn't out there. It's in here. It forces us, when it says that Jesus came to save us, it forces us to recognize I am the problem. That there's something deeply wrong with me. That I've failed as a human being. Raise your hand if you failed as a human being. Yeah, we've failed, we're hurt, we're broken, we need to be saved, and no one wants to hear that. It's one thing to raise our hands and say, yeah, yeah, it's another thing to deal with that brokenness within us, that sin deep within us, and we don't want to admit it, that we really need to be saved but the story of Jesus is asking us to wrestle with that very difficult reality. That I'm broken and in desperate need of help. That in the end, I can't blame everyone else. I have to look at myself. I can't let myself off the hook. That I'm like every other person in humanity. I need 
rescue for all have sinned, the Apostle Paul says, and have fallen short. We all need someone outside of ourselves to save us, to rescue us. And so my question to you today is, have you ever acknowledged that? Can you acknowledge that? And not just one time. This isn't a one-time deal. This is a daily thing. Lord, I need you. Yahweh saves. I need you to rescue me and to heal me and to make me whole. You know, I think sometimes we, we wiggle our way uh, uh, away from this by saying, well, none of us are perfect. I've heard uh, friends say that. You know, well, yeah, yeah I'm, not, you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, and what they're saying is really, I'm just trying to be a better person and do good things. And I think Jesus can help me kind of accomplish that goal. I don't know if you've ever encountered that mentality. It's very prevalent in, in our culture, and even, I think, in the church. Let's just be good people, uh, and let's be honest <laughs> about that approach to life. Just be good people. More times than not, the reality is, when it comes down to it, we are very selective about who we're going to be good to. <laughs> We're very selective about who we want to be good to. We all have little tribes, right? And we clump together our little tribes and then we demonize the other. Right? Just turn on the nightly news and you'll see this. And beyond that, I would say, who's good are we talking about with that approach to life? Who's good are we talking about? So just to be a little controversial, to mix it up a little bit, let me just say this. Think about ISIS, okay? Do you really think that ISIS thinks what they're doing is evil. They don't think what they're doing is evil. They think what they're doing is good. It's a good. They're trying to be good. And in response, you could say our country is trying to do good to counter what they're doing. So now you've got competing goods in the world and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people dying in between. You see, this idea that we should just be good people, I think, is incredibly dangerous and naive as an approach to life. It's almost like someone says, oh, you, you got shot, here's a vitamin. See if that helps the problem. It doesn't acknowledge the complexity and the severity of what's wrong with us as human beings. And so I, I just say again, it's hard to admit and we encounter this all the time around us, just trying to be good people. But we are not just good people trying to do good things in the world. We need to be saved, to be made whole, to be comforted, to be healed in our very souls. And Jesus is the only one who can save us. And that's what Matthew is telling us. He is the only one who can save us from our sins. And so Matthew tells us that he is Jesus, Yahweh saves. And then he tells us that he is Emmanuel, Look at verse 22, real quick. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we're told exactly what that means. It means God with us. Now, Matthew's quoting the Hebrew prophet Isaiah here, Isaiah 7. And Matthew does this often. He'll insert these little quotes from other text in the Old Testament because he wants us to connect the promise that's been made to Jesus. And so he's doing that here. And it's an amazing prophecy. It's this amazing promise that's made in Isaiah that a young virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel. 
And he will be the faithful servant king in the line of David that will rescue his people. It's a promise. But in the Old Testament, it's not fulfilled. It's just kind of left there. This child never appears on the scene. And the promise becomes this hope of a coming Messiah that Israel lives with. And they long for Emmanuel, for God to come and be with them. And so the meaning, God with us, is really significant. Matthew is pointing to the fact that God is not content to leave us in our sin and all its consequences of failure. He has come to be with us. God has come to be with us. And that's really important because that means God is not some abstract uh, idea. He's not some distant being. He is God with us. He is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. And as followers of, of Jesus, we believe that God, we believe in God, you could say, because we believe in Jesus. In other words, we, we know what God is like and we believe in God because we've seen what he's like in the person of Jesus because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we have these gospel accounts, these eyewitness accounts of who he was and what he's like and his teachings and his death and his resurrection. And therefore, we can believe in this God because we believe in Jesus. And we can believe in that because that's what Jesus has revealed to us. God with us. That's the God we believe in. He came to be with you and me. And that means something very important to us. It means that we are precious to him. He is drawn near because he loves us. And then he's invited us to be with him. God with us means there's an invitation for us to be with him. As we look at Jesus then. We see ourselves as totally broken, right, and sinful and in need of a Savior. That's our true condition. But we also see that we're incredibly loved at the same time, that we have a God who draws near to us and is utterly committed to being with us, so much so that he demonstrated that love on the cross. He went to the cross, and he took the consequences of our sin, of our human failure on himself, and he overcame the powers of sin and evil and death in our life. And so he has become one of us. He is God with us because that's how much he loves us. Matthew tells us this origin story of Jesus so we can know who Jesus is and better understand who we are. He is Jesus. He is Yahweh saves, the one who saves his people from their sin. And he is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the one who has come to show us that he loves us and that he invites us into life with him. This is the great news that Matthew is going to begin to tell through these different stories so that we can really see Jesus for who he is and we can understand in light of that who we are. That it's through this Jesus who has come to save, who has come to be with us, that we can actually live life as it was meant to be lived life with God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this good news, for these two names that reveal who your son is, that he is the one who saves and he is the one who is with us. And Lord, we give you thanks that that helps us understand who we are, that we are ones who need to be saved, Lord, today we, we are people who come just as we are, broken. Lord, people who have experienced the failure of our humanity, 
those in desperate need of your rescuing and your deliverance and your redemption in our lives. And so we call on the name of Jesus, the one who saves his people from their 